part two of The God That Shakes the Mountains. If you were not here last week, I want to give you, try to give you just about a 60-second recap. By the way, we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 19. Where we ended last week, the, 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 people, of, the people of Israel, they had been called out of slavery in Egypt. They had been there for a long, long time. Um, and they had been called out of that through... Uh, through the supernatural work of God, through this guy named Moses. Moses thought he was living the life. He was out here tending sheep up on this mountain called Horeb. You know, he had a wife, he had a family, and all of a sudden he sees the presence of God. He sees the bush on fire. And God speaks to him and says, Moses, I have a different plan for you. I have heard the cry of my people. I want you to go and bring them out. And Moses does that. You know the story of Exodus, likely. Uh, he goes and all the plagues and all, and he brings them out over the Red Sea into the wilderness of Sinai. And God brings them and calls them. He comes, comes back to this mountain, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. That's the same mountain where, where Moses was, you know, just some time before. And the people are at the base of this mountain and God calls up Moses up to the mountain. He's going to give him some, he's going to sort of unload, download a whole lot of things. This is where he's going to give him the Ten Commandments and all the law. But before he gives any of that, he says a very peculiar thing to them. And it's like, I love these first things. I love the first words that are said, you know. And um, in one statement, God is going to address three realities. And we went over this last week. We, we, we kind of laid the foundation for this. And this is what he says in Exodus 19, beginning in verse Four. Well, I'll read in beginning in verse 1, just so we can catch up. In the third month after the Israelites left Sinai, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And I proposed last week that there were three realities that God wanted to address before any law was given, before any of these you know, weird kind of regulations about what you could wear and what you could eat and not eat, before all of the detail kind of stuff of the covenant, I believe God wanted to address three key questions in the minds of the Israelites. And I think it's because before this point, there was a lot of confusion all of their life, they had been in a foreign country under the oppressive hand of Egypt. Their identity was in question. Their purpose was in question. Why in the world? We thought we were God's special people. We thought we were the children of Abraham, but Abraham is long gone. Uh, Jacob, Isaac is long gone. Jacob is long gone. We don't even have our own land. What in the world is God's doing? I guess we'll always be captives. And I think God wants to begin to undo their sort of slave mentality and restore something to them. So I think he addressed three things. He addressed, first of all, the question of identity. Who are we? And we're going to talk about that today, just in a few minutes. He also addressed the question of character. Who, how then are we supposed to live? 
How do we behave? How do we treat one another? How do we treat our children? How do we treat the foreigner in our land? He, treat, he addresses this idea of character. And finally, he's going to address the idea of destiny. Why are we here? What's our purpose in life? God, why have you brought us out? And I want to zoom way back and say, guys, look, those are three questions for you and I. Those are three questions for every believer. And here's a cool thing is that we know that Exodus is sort of like this, this like Polaroid picture of the Christian life. It's a snapshot that happened thousands of years ago, but it's this perfect sort of roadmap of exactly what God wants to do in the life of every human being here in 2019. Every one of us have been in our own version of Egypt. Every one of us have been captive to self and to sin and to brokenness and to bond and all these other kind of things. That's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and I. And we know that through the blood of Jesus, there's been a way made where we can leave that life and come into something better. Through the blood of Jesus, just like the blood of the Passover lamb, we can escape the bondage of sin and make our way into God's promises. So Exodus is this picture of what's happening inside you and I on a spiritual level. You with me? Okay. So, but it's the same questions that I think God wants to address in you and I. He wants to address the question of identity. Who are we? He wants to address your questions of character. How am I supposed to treat you know, people around me? How do I live? How do I make decisions? How, do I, how, how am I different than the world around me? And he also wants to address questions of destiny. Why are you here? Why are you and I here on this earth? So I think this brief moment up on top of the mountain is everything. So we're going to jump in to question number one. Who are we? That's why I love the songs this morning, right? It addresses these. And I've been thinking a lot about identity. And it's, honestly, it's, it's, it's if not the most important question, it's one of the most important issues in our culture. Questions of who am I? And I'm seeing things now in culture that I never thought that I would see. I know I sound like my dad, I sound like my grandfather. But I'm seeing these these sort of cultural and societal shifts that I never in my lifetime thought I would see. Questions of gender and personhood, right? Uh, uh, of sexual identity. You know, I just I recently came across an obituary of a, of a family that I would, they were, they were belonging to the church that I was ministering at. And this, you know, young, young son, member of the family, I didn't know him that well. I think he'd already graduated and gone on by the time I got there. But I saw his obituary and, you know, I, I kind of began to try to learn a little bit more of the story, and it turns out this son was living an alternative lifestyle, and the alternative lifestyle is not the same alternative lifestyle when I was, you know, 20 or 21. This particular individual loved to dress up and perform as, as a female and kind of go in that whole drag kind of culture and that drag lifestyle, and, you know, I just, I began to think, what in the world is happening? And I feel like there's this whole generation of people that simply don't have any idea who they are. You know, so part of it is if, if, if the question of identity is called it, we begin to look inside of our, you know, look inside of ourself. I have to look inside of myself. How do I feel? I feel like a female, therefore that must be my identity. I feel non-binary, not a male or a female, therefore that must be identity. I feel like a male who is trapped in a female's body, but is somehow trapped in a male's body, therefore that must be my identity, whatever that is. Right? And my heart has such deep compassion for that sort of that whole, that whole segment of our society that is just 
sort of spinning and, and, and looking around and wondering, who in the world am I? I? I have a compassion for that. I do. And I hope you do as well. I hope that when you and I you know, encounter the LGBTQ what, plus, all of that, I hope that when we encounter that, that we just have such a deep compassion that overflows for those kind of individuals. Because at the heart of it is this confusion and this desire to discover who really am I? I hope you hear my heart on that. Or sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't look inside for identity. Sometimes we look to other people. You get to tell me who I am. You know, I, I look to my wife. I look to my girlfriend. I look to my boyfriend. I look to, you know, my parent. I look to my, to my tribe. Those, all of you get to inform who I am. And that leads to, that can, in an unhealthy way, lead to a lot of damage, a lot of broken relationships, a lot of hurt, a lot of abuse. If my identity comes from you, you know, then, then, then there's, there's, there's a whole lot of potential there for, for, for just brokenness. So identity, that, that's the first battle to be won. As God is seeking to take us from this place to this place, wherever you are, whether you are a cradle-to-grave Christian raised in Sunday school or whether you are you know, the, the drag queen of all drag queens, the first question to be addressed, the first battle to be won is one of identity. The first stone to be laid in this foundation. Because before you can discover what you're made to do, you need to discover who you're made to be. And God cares deeply about our identity. Because God made us. God made us unique. God made us individuals, right? He formed us and he wants each one of us to kind of be this beautiful, you know, unique expression of who he is. So in Exodus 19, notice that that's the first thing that he says. He calls them out and what does he call them? He says, you are, although the whole earth is mine, everything is God's, Right? He's got God, God there, there's, there's no doubt at all that he is the sovereign king of the world. All of the nations, Egypt belongs to him. Mesopotamia belongs to him. The undiscovered countries of North America and South America, all of these things belong to him. But God says, although the whole earth is mine, you, small little tribe of people under captivity, you are going to be my treasured possession. That's a huge thing. That's an identity issue. Let me jump forward and show you again. I want, to, I want to sort of read this again in a different way. We're going to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Because God is going to say the same thing, not to this generation who's standing on the bottom of the mountain. He's, now he's going to say to their children, a lot of things have happened now, 40 years later. Mom and dad didn't make the right choice. They didn't trust God. They didn't move into the promises. They said, no, we can't do it. The walls are too high. The giants are too big. And God says, okay, walk around in circles until you die. I'm going to let your kids then have another chance. So the kids come in and God's going to give the same words to them. Look at what he says in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verse 7. 7-7, seven, seven, perfect numbers. The Lord did not set his affection on you. I love that. Do you know God has set his affection on you? God has taken his heart and he's placed it on a seal over you. And God did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all people. It's like an elementary school, you know? When, when, when little Brad easily got picked last for kickball. 
right? I wasn't good at kickball. I got picked last if I got picked at all. And God says, look, I didn't pick you for my team because you were the best. In fact, you were the worst. But it was, verse 8, but it was because the Lord loved you. The Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the hand of slavery. Guys, I got to tell you, from a, from a historical um, from a historical perspective, what we just read is absurd. Because what the Bible is claiming is something that had never been posited as a reality in the ancient world. Meaning, no other religion would ever think of claiming that God loved people. In the, the, the Egyptian religions, the religions of, of, of Mesopotamia and Babylon on the other side, the opposite was true. Creation, humanity, these were just the afterthought. This was just the dredges of creation. The gods had no interest whatsoever in the affairs of you and I. We were just like waste byproducts from the creation of the world. And we did our best just to kind of slide by and manipulate the gods as best we can. And all of a sudden, this small group of people comes and God says, you, I love you. And it probably is blowing their minds. What do you mean you love us? But you're it. You're everything. You're the great one beyond all that we know. What do you mean you love us? And God says, I love you and I chose you to be my treasured possession." And that one statement is going to inform their identity for the rest of time. And it's going to set God's people on a trajectory that is, on, that is like no other. Even today, even today, no other world religion claims something like this. Only the Judeo-Christian faith claims that there is a God who deeply loves his people. No one else makes that claim. It's unheard of. Go and you find, find a Hindu Ask a Hindu, does any of the 300, 400 million gods love you? And they will look at you and say, absolutely not. I can't imagine such a thing. Go and find somebody who is a, who's a Buddhist practitioner and say, does, does Buddha love you deeply? And they would say, no, Buddha doesn't love me deeply. But the Bible makes this astonishing claim that we are loved by the creator of the universe. Jump ahead, Luke chapter 3. So that's Israel. That's their identity. That's the, one th that's, that's the foundation. That's the first stone. They stand on that. Before law, before the temple is built, before the priesthood, before all these other things, there's one stone that they're standing on. We are God's treasured possession. I wonder if that's where you and I need to take a stand as well. So go over to Luke chapter 3. We're going to see something unique about Jesus. Jesus is no different in chapter 3, Jesus is about to begin his ministry. He's about to be baptized in the river by his cousin John. And look at what it says, chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. By the way, anybody need to be baptized? We're going to do that like in a, probably another month, month and a half or so. We've got this awesome Baptist pool, bap, bap, what do they call that? 
baptismal pool over here. We're going to fix the leak in it. We're going to put it right up here. We're going to dunk some people. It's going to be awesome. So if you need to be dunked, if you want to go under the water and come up, you can let us know. Put it on the connect card. Put it in the box. We'll plan on that. Okay, so Jesus did this. Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. Y'all say heaven was opened. Y'all, when we baptize people, the heavens open up. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Okay, that may not happen here, but you never know. That'd be awesome. And a voice, here it is, a voice came from heaven, you are my son. Y'all say, you are my son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Whose voice was that, by the way? Whose was it? God the Father. And Jesus begins by standing and positioning himself on this stone of identity. Before any miracles are done, before any teaching or preaching is done, before any casting out of demons is done, before he calls the disciples, before he goes in the wilderness to be tested and tried and fast for 40 days, before anything else, the, 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 the affirmation that he is God's son is rooted and established, not only in, in his mind, but in the minds of everyone else around, so that we can look at that and we can say that, look, if Jesus needs this identity stone, so do you and I. And flip over to the very end, Luke 23, the end of his life, three short years later after he's baptized. He's been betrayed, he's been arrested, he's been tried in a mockery of a trial. He's been handed over to be crucified. He's been taken to a hill called Golgotha. He's been nailed up to a cross, a Roman style of crucifixion. He's been hung up to die. Chapter 23 of Luke, verse 44 says, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, what? Father, Father, Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It begins with identity. His whole life is about identity. We're going to look a little bit more about this starting on Wednesday night. Everything in between was nothing more than, than, than standing on this, this stone of identity. Who am I? I am the beloved son of the Father in, 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 in him he is, and I, in me, he is well pleased. And he's all the way through his life, he is the son of the father. And he ends his life that way. Finally, jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. So we know what Israel, we know how, how God feels about them. We know how God feels about Jesus. What about you and I? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And Peter's going to echo these words from Mount Horeb. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You know what we call something that belongs to something else? We call that a possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... 
but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The big idea is that God's plan for you does not, it does begin with salvation, but it doesn't end there. If you've, maybe you've grown up in the church, maybe you've been in sort of different religious contexts where the the prevailing thought is, I need to get saved. I need to say a sinner's prayer so that my sins can be forgiven. I'll make the transaction. And therefore, I know that whenever I die, I get to go to heaven. That's, that's where it begins. But you need to know that God has such a bigger thing for you than just that. Thank you, Sandra. That's it, right? Salvation starts with establishing an unshakable identity as God's treasured possession. I'm asking, I'm wanting, I'm praying, Lord, help our church have this reality answered, have this question answered deeply inside of us. So let me give you just real quick five things about a treasured possession. Because this is true of you. This is true of us. First one is this, a treasured possession is pursued. A treasured possession is pursued. I think these are up here. You need to know that God has pursued you. God has chased after you. Maybe he's still chasing after some of us. But you're valuable enough to him that he has been pursuing you. Second thing is a valued, a treasured possession is valued. You are valuable to God. You are worth the blood of Jesus. You're made in his image. You know there's only one, there's only one of you in the entire history of the world. We know that's true genetically. We know that's true spiritually. You are absolutely priceless. Nothing else is like you. No one else can take your place. You've got things and thoughts and ideas that no one else in the world has. And God says, this son, this daughter is so valuable to me. My treasured possession. Third thing is this, a treasured possession belongs to another. That's why it's called a possession. God just doesn't say that you're a treasure. He says that you're a treasure possession. It means we belong to another. We belong to the one who made us. We belong to the one who created us. We belong to God. Anybody have, tre- like, okay, I won't ask for a raise of hands. Think in your mind, the most valuable thing that you own. Probably like your kids, right? Maybe. Yeah, we own our kids. It's okay to say that. I do. Those kids are mine. I own them, Right? They belong to me. Nobody else can come into my house and look at my kids and say, hey, come, you're going to come live. Nobody else can do that. I have absolute full ownership over them. I pursue, I value, and they belong to me. You need to know that that as we say yes to God, as He leads us out, and we walk in covenant relationship with Him, nothing else can snatch us away from Him. We're firmly in his grasp. Number four, a treasured possession is protected. It's protected. 
God's pursued you. You're valuable. You belong to him. He sure is going to protect you. He sure is watching over you night and day. It doesn't mean that he's going to withhold every storm from you. But he's going to be your shield. He's going to be your defense. He's going to be a strong tower that you can run into. Finally, a treasured possession is never abandoned. Sometimes when we go to McDonald's, my kids get the Happy Meals. Boy, you'd think that like, my word, you would think that we had given them like the most incredible thing in the world in this half. They're like, okay, you, you don't get to have the toy until you eat. They're like stuffing food in their mouths. I'm not good eating. You're like fries are falling out. I want the toy. Okay, we give them the toy. And you would think that this is like nothing in the world else in the world existed except for this little robot on wheels that does something, you know? This is their treasured possession. But what happens to this like 12 hours later? It's in the floor of the car forgotten about y'all God is not that way you're not a happy meal toy that God loves one day and forgets about the next it's not really possible in my own thinking but somehow the love of God just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger for you every day I know that doesn't I know theologically that's that's absurd because God has an infinite love for us but it's like it's never ending it's never extinguished he's never going to abandon you other people will. Friends will, moms and dads, husbands, wives, lovers, all of those will abandon you. Not God. So, you know, we can put our names in place of this. And I want you to do it as we wrap up. Brian, come on up wherever you are. Put your name in there instead of treasure possession. Put your own name. I'm going to do it because I like the way it sounds for me. You ready? Brad is pursued. Somebody say Amen. Brad is valued. I'll put Megan's in. Megan belongs to another. That's right. Sasha is protected. Cameron is never abandoned. Why are those true? Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are. Treasured possessions bought at a price called to great things. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Next week, we're going to take a look at that next question, the question of character, because only when this question of identity is answered can we begin to talk about, okay, now how do we live? If we know who we are, now how do we live? How do we relate to one another? And those are important questions to ask because God does want you and I to live a certain way. There are things that he doesn't want us to do there are laws that he wants us to follow. Do you know why? Because all of those do things are for our protection. That's right. They're for our protection. And they help reinforce the who we are. All right, I want to pray over us here. And then after that, I've got some words and knowledge I want to share and we'll have some prayer ministry time up here at the end. But, let me just bless you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these, this, this, this chosen generation, Lord. We are a chosen generation. 
We are a chosen generation. We are chosen for this year in this place. We are called to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Thank you, Lord, that we are your treasured ones. Thank you that you love us, Lord God. And you value us. And you pursue us. And you protect us. And you, 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 we belong to you and you never abandon us. Lord, help our feet to be fixed to this stone this morning. In Jesus' name.